Anglo-Saxon word Godspell, which can mean either a story about God or a good story. The four Gospels are in the good news about the most significant events in all of history, the life and the sacrificial death and the resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth. The Gospel is named for Mark, who was a close friend and associate of Peter. Mark 11, 12 to 19, Jesus curses a fig tree and clears the temple courts. The next day, as they were leaving for Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to it to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves, because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. As he taught them, he said, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him, for they feared him, because the whole crowd was amazed at his teachings. When evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out of the city. This is the word of the Lord for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Dennis, and thank you, Jenny, for your sharing your gifts of music with all of us. Let us pray. Wise and loving God, may the words of my mind and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable to you today and always. Amen. It often gets said that we can quote scripture to serve our own selfish purposes. And over the course of my life, it has been my experience that quoting the story of Jesus and the temple money changers has been a favorite amongst many who like to justify the ridiculousness of their anger. Remember a time at a former church when there was a group of gentlemen who were setting up for a funeral reception and they got into a little bit of a fight as to how the room was going to be set up. And as you know, there's no fight quite like a church fight. And there was a gentleman who got so upset that he tipped a table over. It knocked down five chairs that were all stacked on top of one another and even spilled the punch bowl. The fellowship group in the kitchen thankfully rescued the event, and I asked him afterwards, well, what was going on? And he said to me, well, you know what? I was right, and he was wrong, and just like Jesus in the temple, I tipped a table over. And I can't tell you how many times over the course of my ministry, maybe three, four times a year, 
when someone will approach me with that awkward question, preacher, is it okay to sell things in the narthex? You know, tickets or a bake sale or playing bingo in the fellowship hall. And I always cringe a little bit because if the story of Jesus flipping over those tables in the temple is simply an ethical maxim about whether or not we can play bingo in the fellowship hall, then my sense is that we've reduced and cheapened this text to something very insignificant. For my sense here in this text is that there is something sacred and very deep on display for all to see in the temple in Jerusalem. And for those of you who have been attending church for maybe even 50, 60, 70, 80 years, what I might have to say today could surprise you. For this text is in part about righteous and unrighteous anger. And this text is in part about greed. But there is one theme in this text that I think is far more important than both. And that theme is inclusion. For on that day in the temple in Jerusalem, Jesus' furious, inclusive spirit for the lost, the last, the lonely, and the marginalized was on display for everyone to see. Let me explain. To understand how I arrived at that conclusion, you're going to have to first journey back with me into first century Jewish history. In the first century Jewish world, a temple like the one that Jesus was in in Mark's gospel uh, was said to include various different nations of people including the Jews, and along the outside of the temple would have been what was known as the court of the Gentiles. Well, in that temple, there was a group of people doing money exchange. We know from Scripture that when you paid your taxes to Rome, you would come to Jerusalem, but before doing so, you would have to exchange your coins, your currency, into the proper currency. And so what you would do is you would go to the money changers, you would present your coins, and then they would give you Roman coins so that you could pay your taxes. A 21st century equivalent might be uh, the kiosk that you would see in the international terminal of an airport. In visiting another country, if you wanted to make sure you had the right currency, you would exchange your currency for their currency. And in those days, and in our days, uh, the bank would kind of take a bit off the top. And that is how they made money. Well, this currency exchange business uh, in Jerusalem was going quite well. In fact, it was expanding. And so those who were doing the money changing in the court of the temple needed more space for their operation. A larger kiosk, a larger lines for people to come and do this. Well, as they were expanding their business in the temple, part of what happened was the Gentiles in the temple, the space that was allocated for them, were kicked out. And so the money changers took over the space where the Gentiles were supposed to worship. As one scholar put it, the equivalent would have been a kiosk getting up, built right on top of a space that had to be evicted. Or as another scholar put it, 
where the money changers were setting up in the temple was far more important even than what the money changers were doing. Because they had expanded their business and the Gentiles no longer had a place in God's house, then God's house of prayer was only for the Jews. So acknowledging this about Jewish history, we walk back into the text that Dennis read for us just a few moments ago, and Jesus arrives in this temple. He sees the money changing that is going on, and he sees the Gentiles who have been pushed out. And according to Mark's gospel, Jesus immediately thinks of the prophecy in Isaiah 56 that Pastor Kathy just read for us a few moments ago. And the prophecy or God's vision for God's house would be that foreigners would show up and would worship alongside God's people of old, the Jews. And these foreigners would have a place in God's house. They would come there and pray and be in fellowship and be able to worship with God alongside God's people of old. And it was going to be a joyous occasion, said God through the mouth of Isaiah. Well, Jesus walks into the temple and sees that the prophecy ain't coming true. Sees that the Gentiles have been pushed out of God's house. And God's house was meant to be a house for people of all nations. So what does Jesus do? Furious in his desire to see the prophecy come about. Jesus flips a table over and flips another table over. In order to ensure that the Gentiles, those on the outside would always have a place in God's house to come and worship. I hear some good news in this text, and I also hear a challenge. The good news for each one of us is that Jesus has gone to before us to flip a table over so that we might be in God's house. This is very good news because from time to time in my own spiritual life and perhaps yours, you have felt on the outside of God's church. Perhaps on the outside because of some experience you had in institutional religion and you weren't very enthusiastic anymore and you just said, there's really no place for me in God's house anymore. Or perhaps on the outside of God's church because of some regret that you have or on the outside of God's house because of some guilt that you have, or on the outside of God's house because of where you are in your spiritual journey, or perhaps on the outside of God's house because you too were literally pushed out by those who were on the inside. We've all had experiences in our spiritual lives where we feel on the outside of God's house. But the good news is that Jesus comes and flipped a table over for each one of us so that we can know that we have a place in God's house. The story gets told of the minister who uh, received a man who was about 70 years old who came into his office and he had had a very difficult experience with institutional religion and he was joining the faith uh, a little bit late and getting involved in church a little bit late in his life. And he said, do I really have a place in God's house? And the minister quoted Isaiah 56 and said, there will be some who come along God's people of old and there will be a place in God's house for you. And then the minister said to ensure that Jesus 
flip the table over. You know, I think sometimes when it comes to our having a place in God's house, we say, you know, we're not experienced enough, or we're not qualified enough, or we're not spiritual enough, or we're not holy enough. But then we run into a scripture like ours today, and we see that we are all of the above insofar as we walked where Jesus walked into God's house, where Jesus flipped the table over so that we might be here, no matter how imperfect or on the outside we might feel. You know, there's a humorous legend that when we all go to heaven, uh, Jesus gives us a bucket of chalk and asks us as we climb the ladder up to heaven to mark on the, each rung of a ladder a sin that we've committed over the course of our lives. While Peter was doing this, you know, marking a sin for each rung of the ladder as he was climbing up the ladder with the chalk, and Mother Teresa was coming back down off the ladder. And Peter said, Mother Teresa, where are you going? And she said, well, Peter, I ran out of chalk. <laughs> None of us are perfect. All of us from time to time in our spiritual journeys have felt as though we are outside of God's house for whatever reason. But our scripture passage this morning reminds us that God went so far as through Jesus to flip a table over so that all people would be included in God's house. That is the good news of this scripture for all of us. There is a place in God's house for everyone. But I would be remiss today if I didn't also mention in this text a challenge. For the challenge of this text seems to be an ethical maxim, all right. There seems to be some permission on behalf of Jesus to get furious from time to time, insofar as we are furious about including other people. When we see that a person is on the outside, when we see that a person does not have a voice, when we see a person who is lost, last, lonely, or marginalized. Every time we flip a table over on their behalf, we begin to emulate the inclusive, furious love of Jesus for the Gentiles. Was reminded of the history of United Church when the other day at a Board of Church Life and Growth meeting, all of our ministry chairs were talking about how we might create and further the inclusive spirit that we have here at United Church. And it struck me that one of our core values of the church really started when we were founded in 1968, when a group of people at the Yacht Club envisioned that there would be a church on Marco Island for anyone who would come over the bridge, that everyone would be included. And for the first four or five years when they didn't have a building to worship, that's all they did. They just fought for inclusion and flipped table after table after table over so that people would be included in the house of God. Recall a wonderful story about inclusion and being courageous enough to include others. It's a story about an evangelical uh, youth ministry that uh, hit like wildflower out in Texas back in the early 1990s. And this evangelical uh, group would come into Texas high schools and try to uh, impact students for Christ so that they would go out and change the world. Well, as part of their strategy, and this was rather well known, uh, they would contact high school principals and ask to have an initial lunch 
with the most popular people in the school, which included, you know, the quarterback, the captain of the cheerleading team, as well as the student body president. And they would meet with them, get them to buy in, and then Christianity would spread down through the ranks of the school. Well, once upon a time, this organization signed up to do this and signed up to have students available for a catered lunch to get it kicked off and going, but none of the popular students came to the lunch. And the principal who had arranged this and was a, a person of strong Christian faith felt really bad that nobody was there to eat the lunch, but he did know of two students in his office. One was in detention for academic reasons. And the other young woman was in his office because she had faked being sick because she was bullied by her friends and didn't want to go to band that day. And he decided that he was going to get furious about including them and said, why don't you go to lunch with the organization? Put those two misfits there. And do you know that that ministry at this school spread like wildflower from the outside in these misfits who had become included. Why? Because there was a person courageous enough, furious enough, to turn a table over on their behalf. Another illustration of, that I thought about uh, in regards to this inclusion uh, the other day was uh, following my son's birthday, he received a Harry Potter uh, birthday present. And I was reminded in receiving this present that uh, the story of J.K. Rowling, the author of the Harry Potter trilogy uh, series. And back in 1994, she was trying to get her first Harry Potter book uh, published, uh, Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. And she really wanted to get it published and was denied by 24 different publishers. And she was living on the streets of Great Britain, and she was rather poor. She was trying to raise uh, an infant daughter, and she got a hold of a one publisher who was rather small over in London, and the publisher just really felt bad for her, wanted to include her and do something for her. So said, oh, okay, JK, give me your manuscript. He got her manuscript, and the CEO of this publishing company took the manuscript, said, I'll give it a chance, and gave it to his eight-year-old daughter. And his eight-year-old daughter read Harry Potter for the first time and said, Dad, I really like it. And the rest, you might say, is history. Because one person decided to get furious about including another. Furious inclusion is whenever you have a family member who's on the outside and you decide to make them part. Furious inclusion is whenever you have a friend who is on the outside and you make them part. Furious inclusion is when you speak up for a young person or for an adult who can't speak for themselves. Furious inclusion is whenever you turn a table over for a person who is last, lost, lonely, on the margins, or pushed out. Preacher, is there a time in the Christian life when I can get angry and flip over a table? Insofar as you do that for a person to accommodate a Gentile, to make sure that someone who has been pushed out is included, then the answer is yes. But truth be told, including other people is bound to get you some looks. Including other people means that there are bound to be consequences. There certainly were for Jesus. 
Scholars are quick to point out that this episode in the temple was the straw that broke the camel's back, if you will. For after wanting to include the Gentiles back in the house of worship, where all the people of God could come and say their prayers, Jesus would then go directly to the cross. And if we flip a table over on behalf of someone who is on the margins, we too might see that there are some consequences. We too, in our courage, might find ourselves at the foot of the cross. But I tell you what, I would much rather hang out with you all, furious includers at the foot of the cross, than to make friends with the den of robbers. <laughs>